Well, gang, good morning. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. If you've got your Bible or device or whatever it might be, head that way, Luke chapter 10. Um, and as you're going there, I want to remind you of our previous passage we were just looking at. You remember, uh, Jesus is rejoicing in this prayer to his heavenly Father, and, and he says it's uh, because the Father has hidden salvation from the wise and the understanding and has revealed salvation to little children, uh, which we came to see is, is talking about God hiding salvation from the, the prideful person who has no understanding of their need while revealing it to the humble one who, who knows that they indeed need a Savior. And I, I want to make sure you understand that because the very next person that Luke writes about here, you, you shouldn't be surprised, is a person that is a prideful man who is going to be testing Jesus. And so I want you to see that continuity from last week's passage into this one, even though there's uh, a solid break in our line there, right, with the titles and, and what's going on, uh, to see that, that continuity. But uh, let's, let's go ahead and read God's holy word. We're going to be in Luke, or starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my, my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. We know that you have given them to your church for a purpose. Empower us this morning to understand these words, and may they, like seed buried in the ground, sprout, sprout up and grow into real gospel change in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week, as I was studying this, early in the week, uh, <clears throat> this passage, a man comes and sits down next to me. And as we begin to converse back and forth, it eventually comes out as to what his profession is. Any of you want to guess what it was? A lawyer, yes. Um, you know, and, and I kind of thought, oh, well, I'll ask him all these questions, and I did, and nothing significant came of it. I was a bit disappointed in that. Uh, but, I mean, as it, one thing that did kind of come out through the conversation is, is this distinction that, that here is this man who is a, a lawyer, but the lawyer in our passage is, is not a lawyer like the man I met at Starbucks or a, 
Uh, a lawyer like Matt is, if he's in here somewhere. Uh, but, but a lawyer in the first century was, was a Jewish man who was an expert on, on the Jewish law, an expert on the Old Testament, right? Uh, he, he was more of what we'd see as a theologian. Yes, it was put into practice, but as a, as a theologian. And, and so this unnamed man in our, our text here knows God's law very well. And when he stands up here to ask Jesus a question, and, and there's two ways that we actually ask questions, and it's important to know which way this man is asking. And keep in mind that, that one way we do this is, is, is when we inquire with a question, it's because we don't know the answer and we seek to know the answer. But when we are testing someone with a question, we assume that we do know the answer. We just want to see if they know the answer in the sense that we know the answer. And, and so the test question that the man asks is this. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how would you answer that man's question with everything you know today? I mean, get that idea in your head. Would it be something about the grace of God? You know, but believe in, in Jesus, something along that nature, have faith in the Lord Jesus, something along that way. But Jesus goes in a very different direction, doesn't he? Jesus responds with a question, asking the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, before we dig into this, uh, you know, the man's response, I, I want you to see something in, in Acts 16.25. If you can, if it's easy for you to do so, flip over to Acts 16.25. I want you to see this. Because in Acts 16, this is what's going on. Paul and Silas, right? The Apostle Paul and Silas are on this missionary journey. And, and they find themselves in prison in the city of Philippi. And this earthquake comes, uh, happens and the gates open. And, and the jailer there that's in charge of making sure they stay in the jail panics because he's assumed that all of his prisoners have escaped, which means doom for him. Uh, and, and, and he finds himself so incredibly hopeless that he's about to take his blade and actually kill himself. But Paul stops him, and he tells him, you know, stop. No, no one's escaped. No one's escaped. And the man then drops to his knees before Paul and Silas, and this is what he asked there in verse 30. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's nearly the same question when you get to the content of it, right? It, and Paul, you see here, doesn't answer even close to the way that Jesus answers this question. Paul says there, again, if you've got it in front of you, you can see it. He says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, why in the world are these two different answers given to what is equates to the same question? Why do that? Here's why. There are three uses of the law. I don't know if you're familiar with this, this idea, but the first use of God's law uh, is to show us our sin so that you know that indeed you are a sinner, uh, so that you learn that you need a Savior, so that you'll turn to Jesus, that you'll run to Jesus uh, in desperate need of Him. The, the second use of the law is about restraining people uh, from being just as bad as they possibly can be. Uh, the third use of the law is to teach us what pleases God. In other words, how we might live or ought to live our lives as Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? So there, there's that aspect. Now, so, so Jesus and Paul here are, are giving different answers because the Philippian jailer is already completely broken, right? When he's asking this question, must, what must I do to be saved? He's asking a genuine question from a place of desperate need at that point. While the lawyer, on the other hand, 
is pridefully testing Jesus. And so Jesus is taking him to the law in order for the law to do what it can do in the first use of it, right? To, to humble him, uh, to show him his need of a savior. Now, you and I both know it is not easy today, nor was it in Jesus' time, to, to take someone who thinks they're holy, thinks they're good, think they're not a sinner in any, any capacity, and convince them, no, you are. You are. I'm not saying you're Hitler, but you're a sinner indeed, right? So while there is a tension in this conversation between, between Jesus and the lawyer, I, I also want you to know that, that Jesus, what Jesus is doing for him here is incredibly kind. Right? In the tension is kindness, really. Um, and notice he's doing it with the scriptures. Right? He doesn't just say, you're, you're a sinner, man, and, and then move on. He, he's showing him through the scriptures, right? It's, it's the way we should do it. I mean, the question we're all constantly asking is, 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 what do the scriptures teach us? And that's where Jesus sends him. And so back to our, our passage in front of us here, the, the lawyer then gives his answer, right? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This is not novel information, right? He's, he, he's, he's not being novel here. He's doing what lawyers do. He's appealing to the law as he knows it. You see, you, you probably recognize these words immediately, right? We, we hear them all the time. When, when Jesus summarizes the law, he does it the exact same way. And, and the reason is that both of them are appealing to God's Old Testament law, the law of God. Um, and, and it's a combination of an answer from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Levit Leviticus 19.18. And you can go read those sometime. You're going to find the exact same thing. Uh, and, and so Jesus responds here then, you've said correctly, do this and you will live. So you're tracking with the story so far. This lawyer asked Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus asked, what do the scriptures say? And the lawyer says, well, the scriptures say, love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And what we're seeing here is, is, is this lawyer or in this lawyer, quite clearly, what we're seeing here is that it's possible to have the right answers intellectually and still have a heart that's very far from God. Now, pay attention to that, that clause, right? You probably picked up on my emphasizing of it in verse 28, do this. Because the question is, is do what? What is he saying to do? Well, love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the lawyer has been dealing in this realm of knowing what's right. And Jesus is pushing him to this place to begin thinking of himself. Do I do, I do this? Is this anything in my life? There's, there's the first use of the law at work right there. As he begins asking that question, do I do this? Because, you know, some of us, I, I, I think... We, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd come to this, right, this conclusion here, and, and here's how we should conclude this when we hear that kind of question, right? Am I doing this? And, and you realize, well, who in the world besides Jesus can actually do this perfectly? Who? And you know the answer, nobody. See, Jesus is answering how, how the lawyer can, can earn salvation. And that's the works of the law. You do it by living perfectly holy according to everything that God has given in his law all the time. And you know, and I know, that's impossible. 
It's, it's as if Jesus had said, you know, you, you want eternal life? Take this rock and throw it over the moon. Right? It's, it's impossible. And you might be thinking, I, I can throw it way further than Sadie can throw it, right? I know I can throw it further than Christy Boyce can throw it. I don't know about Bill. He's got a strong arm. <clears throat> but, but you realize, no matter what, none of us can throw it over the moon. It's absolutely impossible. And, and that's where the first use of the law leads us when, when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Romans 3.20 teaches us, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And listen, the reason that you can't be saved by the law, it's not because something's wrong with the law. It's not. The law is beautiful. It's wonderful. The, the reason is because since the fall of Adam in the garden, the, there is something that is wrong with you. There is something that's wrong with me. There is something that is wrong with every single one of us. And, 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 and what's wrong with us is that we are sinners. Now, the proper response to this news is something like, woe is me. I am, I am doomed, hopeless. What hope do I have if, if that's the standard? But, but the, the lawyer's response is, is more like Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber. Remember when he's asking that girl, you know, do I have a chance? You, you know, a guy like me and a girl like you. And she's like, I think he says like one in ten. And she's like one in a, more like one in a million. And he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. Right? The lawyer kind of responds that way. And, and so spiritually speaking, the lawyer is, is absolutely delusional here. Because somehow, and I don't know if you caught this, somehow he just skips over the first part. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Like, check, I nailed that. Nailed it. And, and he's moving on to some clarification now on, on the love of neighbor part. Let me make sure I understand this. Right? And, and, and so he's asking that question, and who is my neighbor? Who? Luke tells us he's trying to justify himself. He, he wants to take this, this circle, right, of everyone and shrink it into his, his little bitty idea of, of this narrow idea of who my neighbor is. You see, he's doing what the, the Pharisees we know did in that time period. Uh, the Pharisees considered only other Pharisees their neighbors. So you're a, another sect of the Jewish, the Sadducees or someone, or you're uh, a Gentile or a Samaritan or anything else, right? Then you're not my neighbor. I don't have to love you. Um, that, that's the way he, he's thinking there. So, so you understand he, he still wants to earn salvation instead of graciously receiving salvation. This idea can sneak back into our life, even as Christians. You know, how, how about you? Do, you, do you? do you somehow start thinking, well, maybe I can earn my salvation now? The lawyer thinks that he is righteous and self-righteousness is a roadblock to the gospel. It just is. And so Jesus is going to continue to lead him down this path so that he might see his own sin. And I think really most of us would be so frustrated at this man at this point, right? To see that pride, that arrogance that's going on. And you just want to say, don't you get it? You're a sinner. Why don't they... Come on, like, don't you really get this? And I, and I love how we see our Savior is so patient. And he continues to lead this man to see it for himself. And, and so Jesus begins to tell him this parable, right? It's the, a story that, that is told that has spiritual 
meaning. And, and, and so in the story, this unidentified man travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a known, very dangerous route to take. And along the way, robbers who were known to hide in the rocks come out and they mug him and they rip off his clothes because they're going to keep his clothes. They had value back then. And they leave him naked and beaten and injured upon the road. And, and, and any of you catch there in verse 31 that, that Jesus, the sovereign king of the universe, doesn't say by providence, but says by chance a priest was going down the road? That's funny, right? Jesus says, by chance. It made me laugh. Um, I don't know. I kind of picture him winking at someone. By chance. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what? I thought it was hilarious. Y'all, y'all need a better sense of humor. Anyway. We're being set up by Jesus. That's what's going on here in this story, right? Because so, when we hear that, that the, the Jewish priest, we, we naturally think, okay, that's the good guy. He's the hero of the story. He's going to help for sure. And then he doesn't, right? He, he, in fact, he goes out of his way to make sure he doesn't have to help the guy that's in his way. And, and then we hear about the Levite. And you're like, okay, well, the Levite's going to be the one who does it. Because the Levites assisted in the temple, right? They were, they were good people. It was, it was their reputation. And so the expect, expectation is he's going to help. But both the good guys, right? The priest and the Levite, they do the wrong thing. There was uh, this experiment. And I, I know I've shared this with you before. But never in the context of this actual story. Uh, that was done on these unsuspecting seminary students where they invited them to come and talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. And it was set up so the route they had to take had them go into an entrance into a building with a, a man who's on the ground and, and the man is sick and obviously needs help. And, and they can't get there without actually going like almost over the man. And, and he was instructed to cough when the students come by. And, and the, the irony of this whole thing was it, it didn't seem to matter that, that they were coming to teach on the Good Samaritan, the majority of them still found themselves, I have to be somewhere, I have something to do, I have to go teach on this. And so they go around the guy and don't, don't help him. The overwhelming majority, and because you see there's this huge disconnect between the knowledge of Jesus' teaching and, and the practice of Jesus' teaching in, in real life. And, and part of me wants to judge these students. Like shame on them. And I want to judge the priest, and I want to judge the Levite harshly, but, but I've been the priest, I've been the Levite. You ever, you ever passed a car on the side of the road that, that needed help without offering any help at all? Right? Tell me I'm not the only one that has these excuses, right? Well, they, they have a phone. They'd probably be scared if I helped them anyway, right? Or, or I'll tell them, I'm not really a car guy. They need someone like, like Garrett or, or Craig or Caleb or Tony. Like one of you guys that actually know the difference between a carburetor and the flux capacitor because I can't tell those apart. Um, <laughs> we're good at excuses. We're just good at them. But we're, we're not as good at actually helping people in need. And so Jesus says after the priest and the Levite that the Samaritan come along. And remember, Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated Samaritans. And the Jews called them foreigners because they had intermarried with the Assyrians and they had their own place of worship. And it was even a derogatory thing for a Jew to call someone else, oh, you Samarian. Uh, you know, this was one of their burns in first century time period. And, and they consider these Samaritans half-blooded heretics. And in fact, in, in John 4, 9, we're, we're even told that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Which sounds an awful lot like the land before time 
three horns never play with long necks. And it's this idea we just we don't have anything to do with each other because we hate each other. Uh, and this, this is the payoff moment in Jesus' setup because the Samaritan is the hero of the story. He's the one who's the actual good guy. In fact, that's what we call this story, right? The good Samaritan. It's the Samaritan who takes care of the man who was mugged. He has compassion on the man, and, and the Samaritan tends to the man's injuries. And, and the man who was too injured to, to, to walk, and so the Samaritan puts him up on his own animal, which means now the Samaritan has to walk himself whatever distance they're going. It's the Samaritan who takes the man to the hotel and, and prepays for enough money that's going to cover uh, a, roughly two weeks of this man's care, and then promises to bring more back if needed. And, and so after all that, then Jesus... Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the, ro- the robbers? See, there's a slight switch there. Jesus actually reverses the question to improve. Right? Not who do I have to treat as my neighbor, but how can I actually be a loving neighbor? Now, again, I want you to see something interesting here. Play along with me for a moment. Let's say I tell you a story. It's going to sound awfully familiar to you here. Uh, And the story is this. A priest and a Levite and a Samaritan, they all come across this injured man. And the priest and the Levite, they avoid the man and, and do nothing to help him. But the Samaritan helps the man. And so answer me, which one of these proved to be the neighbor? Go ahead and tell me. Only three of you want to answer this? Who is it? Y'all all said the Samaritan. You said the Samaritan because that's the obvious way to answer this, but what's the lawyer say? It's not without significance here. Look at it, verse 37. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He won't even use the name Samaritan. Even at this moment, and he won't use it because that's, that's his enemy here. He, he sees Jesus' point, but he doesn't appreciate that, that the Samaritan is the hero of the story. Now, there's a chance that we're a lot more like this lawyer than we want to admit. Right? You, you tell the same story. How would you feel if it's a, a Presbyterian and a Baptist avoided the man, but, but a fundamentalist, Islamic fundamentalist stops and actually cares for the man? Right? That kind of begins to bother you on some level, I, I think, if you really took the story serious. Or, or maybe it's someone of the, the political affiliation that's the exact opposite of you, Right? You know, you're a Republican. Maybe you say uh, a Republican, a Libertarian, and a Democrat. It sounds like the start of a joke. Um, A Republican, a Libertarian, a Democrat, you know, come upon an injured man, and the Republican pretended not to see him, and the Libertarian ignored him. But the Democrat stopped and took care of the man at great cost to himself. You know, if you lean Democrat, just switch that around. But... You begin to understand here, right, that the man is prejudiced on some level. And we might be too, if we're honest. Christians, we need to know this is not compatible with the gospel, though. See, everyone that we encounter is your neighbor. It really doesn't matter what ethnic they are. It doesn't matter what ethics they hold. Everyone is your neighbor. When the lawyer admits... The, the one who proved to be the neighbor was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus replies to him, you go and do likewise. Now, now Jesus, is, Jesus is pointing the man to actually do something. And really the, the whole point is that Jesus is showing this man, you haven't loved your neighbor. 
You haven't really kept the law. I know so far you, you've, you're delusional. You think you've kept the law. But you haven't kept the law. That, that's the most important thing Jesus is showing him here. And, and the lawyer wants Jesus you know, to put some condition on who counts as his, his neighbor. Lower the bar. And then I can keep the law. And Jesus refuses to do so. You see, instead Jesus is confronting the lawyer with his failure to keep the law. That's the way every single one of us should feel confronted when you read a story like this. You know, showing him it's impossible to love God with all your everything. And it's impossible to love your neighbor as yourself perfectly. Now, we don't know how the lawyer responds here. But, but as we read this, we, we learn for sure the way that each of us should respond to it. And, and it's this way. Knowing our great need that we stop trying to justify ourselves. It's not be a good neighbor. That'll come into play later. It's not that it's not that. But the major point here is, is that we stop trying to justify ourselves. And that we place our faith in Jesus who has fulfilled the law himself. The one man who can throw a rock over the moon. That you know he's fulfilled the law and died in our place and he justifies us. In short, you come back to Paul and Silas, right? To believe in Jesus. And so then we, we, we talked about the first use of the law here, and that's important. There there's also is an application of the third use of the law. Remember, that's that's that teaches us as we walk in the, in the Spirit, as we are Christians, as we are redeemed, it teaches us how we are to live as Christians, knowing we can't do it perfect, but it gives us something to aim for, what, what is the right and proper way to live. And, and there is something here about how learning how to love our neighbor, which is important. Very important, because neighborly love it is a way of life for us as Christians. It has been for the church in every generation. No matter how much the church is part of the culture or how much they are rejected by the culture, neighborly love is a way of life for Christians. And so I, I do want to touch on two areas that I think will help us be good neighbors. They're not the only two areas. They're just two I want to touch on here. And the first one is about presence. Particularly in this, this digital age of seeing everything in the world. Uh, Joe Rigney, who Sam says I quote too often, uh, in his book, Things of Earth, pointed out that in this passage, Jesus doesn't condemn the Levite who lives 50 miles away in Galilee for, for failure to help the wounded man. He condemns the Levite who walks by on the other side of the road. Right? The one who is present and sees it, and, and it's right there. God has placed you in Manhattan, or on campus, or on post, or in, in the city of Riley. He, he's placed you in these specific offices, and dorms, and teams, and classrooms, and places. And, and the people that you come across right, in your life, uh, as Jesus might say by chance, as you'll probably say by providence, uh, as the people that you come across in your life, those people are your neighbors. And being present is the first step to being able to love them well. As William Swirla uh, has said so beautifully, neighbor is not a concept to be debated or defined, but a flesh and blood person in the ditch waiting to be served. You can't define your neighbor in advance. You, you can only be a neighbor when the moment of mercy arrives. So Christian, I, I do want to alleviate one pressure from you. You are not expected to solve every problem in the world. You're not. You, you cannot carry the weight of everything you see on television or social media. Or you're going to see too much and just absolutely give up. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be a good neighbor where you are to the people around you that need help. 
The second issue here, I think, really in the world we live in that can help us actively be good neighbors or better neighbors is in regard to, to having margin in our lives. I have an illustration. I don't do this very often. It's a normal sheet of paper, so you can understand what a margin is. The margin is the white spaces here, right? It's a normal piece of paper. You have your stuff on here. This is the plan. But if you need to make an adjustment, you can write here. You can make notes. You can do things of that nature. This is the same stuff with no margin. None of you turn your papers in like this, I hope. Um, This is what no margin looks like. If you need to make an adjustment, there's not really any room to do that. It's just what it is. That's the way it is. See, that's the way our, our lives tend to be. When we start to fill them up with so much stuff that there's no margin left in it, there's no variable to make any adjustments along the way. You can't make any corrections in there. You, can't, you don't have any space to do anything else at all. And that's why this phrase, you know, margins is used for the way we actually organize our life. So one aspect that we, we might miss in this parable is, is that the Samaritan himself is going somewhere, has things to do, probably people waiting on him. And yet I'm amazed that he has the margin in his life to actually stop. Somehow he can do what so few of us seem capable of doing because of our schedules. To, to, to actually stop and help a man he doesn't even know. And so, so let me ask you this. Are, are you so overscheduled that someone needing your help, whether a child or a friend or a stranger, uh, is seen as an attack on your ability to accomplish what you need to accomplish? I am a very task-oriented person. I confess this is a struggle for me because I want to get things done. The, the, the truth is many of us commit to more things than we really have time for. We, we fill our schedules with sports and meetings and clubs and, and classes and music lessons. Our, our, schedules, our schedules look like this one, don't they? Uh, all too often. And for what? For what? Because we want to be well-rounded? We want our children to be well-rounded? We are really good at getting things done as Americans, but we, we are not always as good, as good at being present in the lives of the people around us being present in the places that we actually live. And lack of margin is a big reason for that. And, and I know it's a simple story that Jesus tells here, but I expect the priest and the Levite, they got a lot done that day, right? That Levite got home and was able to relax with a nice book at the end of the day because he said no to the person in need along the way. Uh, the Samaritan didn't get much done. He, he was traveling and his plans were ruined, but he did honor God he showed love to a neighbor. And I, I say this as much to myself as anyone else, that, that we, we must, part of, part of our walking in, with Christ in, in life is, is to constantly evaluate how indeed we're walking through life, right? And so we need to constantly or consistently evaluate what's important so that we begin to leave margin in our lives. Margin for, for the mission of God at unexpected times. One, one last thing, massive thing actually, and then we'll be done here. This this parable naturally leads us to see Jesus as the good Samaritan in the story. It just does, right? We're the injured man and Jesus has compassion on us. He tends to our injuries. He pays for our care from his own funds. There's only one problem when we do that, when we take that view. The comparison is, is so, it falls short massively, massively. Because, you know, the Good Samaritan in Jesus, because Jesus is so far superior to the Good Samaritan. 
Spiritually speaking, we're not injured on the road. We are dead in our sins. And Jesus shows far more compassion. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just refuse to you know, cross the road because he's in a hurry to get somewhere. Jesus actually enters into human flesh and comes to dwell among us. The, the good Samaritan is generous, yes, but Jesus pays at far greater cost to himself. He, he, he suffers, his body is broken, his blood is poured out, his soul goes through the agony before his father. The, the Samaritan is a good neighbor, he is, but Jesus is the only true and perfect neighbor. And finally, church, we, we can love our neighbors better. We, we can. And part of how we find ourselves in positions to talk about Jesus and to point people to Jesus is, is by loving them well. It would be good that we make this a high priority in our life. And so, yes, do actively seek to love others well, but also know it is, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who is our righteousness when our faith in Him. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, If we don't already know that we are sinners, please show us. Show us so that we will thirst for the gospel, that we will long for Jesus, that we will know that we have a desperate need that is met only in the Savior. Lord, thank you for loving us with actions, for redeeming us at great cost to yourself. And Lord, we we want to be more like Jesus, and so convict us if we need conviction. Give us wisdom on how to find margin in life, to not throw everything out, to to be active in community and active in clubs and all sorts of things, but give us wisdom on on how we might find margin in life. Uh, And we ask for it now, Lord, Not, not someday, but even at whatever stage of life we happen to be in. Father, may this parable stick with us as we go from here today, as we go through the week ahead. We ask that you'd actually give us opportunities to to be a good neighbor to someone and to see you work in that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.